Hello and welcome to the Poet Delayed podcast. My name is Scott Edgar and I'm the host and I just I would like to thank everybody who has listened to my prior episodes and uh, especially those who have uh, reached out and given me some comments and suggestions and thoughts. I really appreciate that. Um, today I am joined by local author and poet Jennifer Adams and I'm really excited for this. She's um, an author of children's books and baby lit first steps books is is that the name of the series or um yeah baby lit are the board books that are based on the classics and there's like 30 of them they're the little like moby dick for babies jane austen for babies and then this edgar series there's some kind of spin-offs for older kids that are more like four to eight okay yeah yeah i I saw that I was looking through all of your books and I saw and I said in big black letters Edgar and I thought I have to buy the <laughs> Edgar book and it's uh you've taken some Edgar Allan Poe stories and put them into I guess that was the inspiration because when I read the Edgar and the Tree House of Usher um it it made me want to go back and read the fall of the house of Usher and and actually I realized as I was reading the fall of the house of Usher that I've never read it before I just I had seen the Vincent Price movie some Saturday afternoon back in the early eighties or something right. on my black and white television. <laughs> so, but, but it's great. Um, so how many, so you have 30 of these baby lit first step. Books. Yeah. Well, 30 baby lit. Um, so they're board books for zero to three years old. So they just teach their primers. They just teach really basic, like counting or colors mm-hmm. or weather. Okay. Um, and then there's three Edgar picture books and I have, cities board books london new york san francisco and paris i have i have like 50 50 kids books which is crazy to me but yeah (laughs) when did you start writing them um i think 2011 the first baby lit book was published yeah and was that your first book published um i published what's my very first book i think i wrote lion house weddings i ghost wrote that um cooking entertainment book which won't have my name on it if you look at it, <laughs> which I didn't get royalties for. Um, and then I wrote some adult literary nonfiction. I wrote a, a Jane Austen. Uh, it's a compilation of what other famous writers have said about Jane Austen. It's called Remarkably Jane, like people that love her and people that hate her. Um, my favorite quote in that book is Mark Twain says... Every time I read Jane Austen, I want to dig her up and hit her over the head with her own <laughs> shin bone. So I'm like, that is awesome. Mark um, Twain said lots of mean things about lots of people. Yes, he did. That's very funny. <laughs> he is. I found a book. Uh, um, we were talking before this, how I go to the Desert Industries to find my books nowadays. And I found uh, a uh, a collection of all of his humorous writings, Mark Twain's. Oh, fun. So, yeah, he was... It definitely had a way with words. Very <laughs> witty. Um, so, so 2011 was your first book, uh, and you're 50 plus books at this point. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's it. That's quite an accomplishment. It's pretty amazing. Thank you very much. Thanks. Um, and I'm grateful to have you on today. And yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I. You know, when we first talked, I, I, I sent you a poem that I wanted that I thought would be a good one of my poems that would be good to start into or to use to kind of as a launching pad for for t- our uh, conversation today. And the poem that I wrote, it's called I Am a Poet, or I Am a Poet. And actually the first 
the original title was Sister I'm a Poet, which I got from Morrissey. He wrote a song, Sister I'm a Poet. But and so I, I dropped the sister though, because I don't know, I, knowing him, he'd find some way to find it out and make my life, you know, sue me <laughs> or something. I don't know. <laughs> doesn't seem like the nicest of guys. Although I did almost steal a pinky ring off his finger at his concert in Honolulu in 1992. Wow. Yeah. I, I had my fingers latched around the ring because <laughs> he likes to get down and on the ground and roll around and stick his hands into the audience. And I was there on the first row and, and I gr- I latched it. And as soon as he felt that, boom, gone. <laughs> and it never came back to my side of the stage for the rest of the show. But anyway. All right. So it's a tangent. Um, all right. So I'm a poet. It says, I'm a wordsmith wielding my Mont Blanc hammer on my moleskin anvil. I shape words and forge them together, quenching them in my inky oil to temper them, to make them hard for breaking souls. I'm a word weaver, weaving on my parchment loom. I guide the weft threads of metaphors through taut warp threads of nouns and verbs, resulting in a strong velvety weave for binding up broken souls. I'm a painter. My palette is full of words for mixing, some fresh and liquid, some dry and hard. At times, I work them smooth and technical, Vermeer in verse, other times raw and passionate, Van Gogh in verse, each painting with an Abrahamic number of interpretations. I'm a wordsmith. I'm a weaver. I'm a painter. I'm a poet. So I I wrote this poem, oh, I don't know when it was, but I, I was just laying in bed one night, and I, I just had this image of my Mont Blanc and and I just kind of came out. And um, what's interesting is I've always, I've always felt pretentious to say I'm a poet. It just feels pretentious to me. I, I don't know why. Well, I guess. It, you know, I think that's interesting. Like, I think a lot of writers have a really hard time and take a while to come to a place where they can say, I'm a writer. I remember I would I would always say to my brother I, I want to be a writer you know I want to be a writer I want to be a writer and at one time at some point he was like Jen you have published five books <laughs> <laughs> you are a writer and I was like something clicked in my head I'm like oh okay I can I can say that and I think a poet might be even a level harder than that for us to acknowledge because it's it's such a I don't know such an important and intimate kind of writing and. Yeah. Now you write poetry as well as these, uh, as your um, children's books. I do. In yeah. fact, um, you you wrote. I, I like to write haikus, and in fact, that's why I think that Allison introduced yeah. us is because we both like to write haikus. Yeah, that is how we met through yes. haikus. <laughs> yes, haiku. It's a great way to meet people. Um, and I came across on Facebook one of your haikus, the one that I did. You know, I did it in calligraphy for you, and. I just loved that haiku, and I think I've got it memorized, so I'm going to try to say it from memory. Okay. Here we go. When I am a ghost, I'd like to be a wren's song haunting the morning. That's it. That's it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that. I Thank love the imagery you. of that. I love, um, it, Why is there a reason you chose a wren? Is, yeah, so I am in a haiku writing group it's a facebook group Mm -hmm. and 
I'm convinced that I'm going to get you to join it. Ah. <laughs> I think you would love <laughs> it so much. But my haiku master is Clark Strand, who's like one of the best um, American language haiku poets. He's been writing and teaching haiku for like 40 years. And um, so I've learned so much about haiku. Um, most people know like the 575 mm -hmm. and then the turn of thought where the haiku is saying something more than those syllables or more than the more than what it seems to be saying on the surface. And then the other piece is season words. And um, Ren is one of the season words. So there's spring, fall, winter, and summer. And the words that the poems are written around, they're supposed to include a season word, a proper haiku is supposed to include a season word. And um, the words have been passed down from Japanese for thousands of years. So there's like these kind of season word dictionaries. And they get added to with like modern language and English language but um so Ren was our season word assignment that mm -hmm. week and that's where that, that then I wrote you know then you write a bunch of Ren ones or whatever and that was my favorite one from from that attempt but yeah I I just love the idea of the ghost and the ghost being equated to a bird song oh thanks just if just feeling the air that's you feeling the air i thought that was great yeah i i've you know i've let me see these haikus one of them um yeah i probably ought to i've never really taken any formal hike i mean the 575 is where i first got it you know and yeah. then and then i've tried i've read some about it but this is one of my favorites it's uh the sun dips westward pulling darkness from the east, a starry blanket. That's beautiful. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I, for some, I, I, I put out a, to help people, you know, I told you my books on consignment there at King's English. So if anybody's interested in buying my book, you can go to the King's English bookshop in Salt Lake on 1500 East and what? And 1500 South. Yep. And 1500 South. Easy to remember. You can't forget it. And anyway, so, you know, I, you put a certain number there and then after they, for 90 days they hold it. And then if you haven't sold all five, then they tell you to come get your books, which feels like it'd be like a walk of shame or something. I don't know. No, no. <laughs> and if you do sell all five, then we'll get five more from yeah. you. Well, so, that's what I did. Yeah. I, was, I had, they'd been there for two months and I knew that there were like two or three left. And so I put out an offer, like whoever buys it, um, buys these last two, I will write you a personalized haiku. Oh, nice. And, and yeah, they bought them. And so, uh, and I said, if you buy them by this Friday, I'll do them in calligraphy. So that was kind of, <laughs> extra, bonus. Kinda, yeah, extra bonus. So, so that, that was, that was effective, but yeah, I love, I love the haiku because I like to be able to take an idea, a concept and, and the, the challenge of boiling it down and not just five, seven, five, or not just 17 syllables, but the, you know, the first line has to be only five syllables, you know, and, and I've, I've written some Tonka as well. You know, the, those yeah. have been fun for me. Yeah. I need to experiment with that. I've never tried. Yeah. Um, Let me read you my favorite one that I've done. Actually two of them. This one's called tethered finitely. It says death comes and he walks. We are the quarry. We all, he takes whom he will employing no subtlety for we're tethered finitely. Mm. 
tethered mm-hmm. finitely. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. And then this other one, I um, there's this poem by Langston Hughes. It's called uh, Suicide Note. Have you ever read it? No, but I do like Langston Hughes. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. His poem is, I, I don't have it here, but um, it says the uh, cool-faced river. Oh, no, the calm, cool-faced river asked me for a kiss and that's his uh uh it's called suicide note mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so my i wrote a a tonka in response to that it's called hesitation a question for langston hughes it says mr hughes your calm cool-faced river persists in asking for a kiss but do you know can you say where she carries her lovers Ooh. yeah so. That was provocative. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> so I, I like I like to um, I, I like the challenge of taking, you know, because you can convey a lot, you know. Yeah, I, I think that that's something I like about it the most, which I've learned over the years with creativity is like constraints. So like the constraint of the number of syllables or the the really focusing in or honing in on what you're trying to say actually opens it up. And gives you a lot of freedom. Yeah, it and it's does. like that. It's like that kind of dichotomy that you wouldn't think. And I've kind of learned that in my job uh, as an editor, like a constraint of budgets or um, you, you know page count or or uh, like these things that you could look at as negatives or things that were keeping you back from creativity. It kind of forces you to be more creative because you have to find a way to make it work within these parameters. Um, so I find that really having those rules makes it really freeing in a kind of, in a kind of counterintuitive way. It's kind of cool. Yeah. I no, I, I totally get that. I mean, because I don't, I used to, I don't like the poetry. I write non haiku poetry is mostly free verse. I just, and I enjoy that because I feel like I, I, I it just, I feel like I can go anywhere with it. Mm-hmm. But when you do put those constraints, like if you want to write a sonnet, you know, you got 14 lines. I, I don't even know what all the, all the criteria are for a sonnet, but, um, the, uh, and I think it was Robert Frost who said something about, you know, taking the rules away or something like, like writing free. Versus, oh, without the net. It's like, yeah. yeah playing tennis without the net. Yeah, or that, something. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But you know, but when I, I find that when I, so I, when I'm writing a free verse poem, sometimes I will, I get, it almost takes more effort to write it because there are so many possibilities. But yeah. when you have the net, when you have the rules, you're confined and it's, you know, it's easier. But like I, I've, I've spent, I've spent, uh, there are some poems that I've spent months and months working on because I just think, well, there's so many different options here that I can, I mean, I have ideas for different ways to go with an idea or Mm -hmm. with a concept and I just, there's no, nothing to hem it in. Yeah. 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 So there's some real, I I love, I like to write in free verse too. Although like I don't typically share, I feel like I write a lot of my poetry for myself. mm -hmm. Um, but the haiku has been a place where I've started sharing it and it's kind of been fun to have like poetry in community mm-hmm. and I guess like that's one of the things that Clark Strand says about haiku um originally it was developed like it was a party game and it was and they and people would do it back and forth with each other and it was all about 
sharing and you have these um kukais where you come and vote on the, the your hmm. friend's favorite you know so we do these kukais once a month with our little haiku writing group and get a vote on the favorites and it's like a kind of a totally different experience like when you're all writing to the same word the same season word and you're sharing it with each other and like I don't know growing off like being inspired by each other's yeah. poems so that's kind I of used, fun to learn how to share uh, yeah well <laughs> I used to not share any of my poetry. I would just write it and put it in a book. And I, I find that um, there's a lot of joy in sharing it, I, I, mm-hmm. I find, because you know, as we were talking about before this, you know, a lot of my poetry in the last three years has, has really been, I, I've been using that as a way to kind of explore you know, a lot of the, the issues that I'm working through and so forth. And there's a lot of other people who, uh, you know, I've, I've found that people relate to a lot of the poetry. And one thing that I love about poetry is that you can convey an idea or you can con- convey a concept. Um, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, you know, you, you know, I, I think that if you read the classics, the classic literature, you can get more out of life or, or you can get more help in living a, a, a meaningful life than any of the self-help books. And I think the reason why, with poetry as well, is these ideas and concepts are, are, are created in such a way that they're not literal, usually. Right. They're figurative. And I, that just kind of your body absorbs it almost. You know, your mind absorbs these things. And, and it's not like somebody beating you down with like, like, here's what you need to do, X, Y, and Z. It's subtle. Yeah. And it's a concept. And then you, a lot of times you'll come about an understanding of it on your own. Right. For sure. And like internalize it or find meaning in the way that it matters to you or in the way that you need, because, you know, two people might take that kind of same truth or peace mm-hmm. and interpret it differently or see a different message. So it's really personal in that way, I think. Yeah. I, I've written poetry and I've had, I've had people come to me and talk to me about a poem that I've written and their interpretation is not even close to what I was writing about, but what they got out of it was beautiful and so true. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, and so it it gives you this framework that somebody can look at and there's, I I don't know that there's, I I used to have a hard time reading poetry because I felt like I didn't understand it, you know, or, or I felt like I wasn't getting the the actual meaning of it, you know, Mm But I don't think that's how it works. Yeah. I think yeah, you read it and, you know, sometimes it falls flat. And I just think, ah, I don't, that doesn't work for me. But sometimes I'll read it and I'll think that is, you know, it raises feelings and emotions and I kind of adopt it and, and, and learn how to apply it in my life. Yeah. Yeah. So how long have you... So you, I'm interested in, in kind of your background with, with, with writing, because I mean, obviously you've, you've seen some great success with it. Your first book was published in, in 2011. Um, how, like that couldn't have been the first time you ever attempted to write something. <laughs> right. how, how long yeah. have you been writing? Like, so I've been writing ever since I was a kid, like time, you know, when my mom, we moved my mom, uh, out of the house we grew up in, found tons and tons of stories and poems just 
tons that I'd written and then tons of my brother's artwork and cartoons. So it was like really fun mm. um, from when we were kids. But I remember, um, do you know the the books, um, like the Book of Three and the High King by Lloyd Alexander? No. Um, these, they're a little fantasy series. There's five of them. And when I read them when I was in fifth grade and they just like changed my world, I loved them so much. And I remember I was like, oh, I wish, you know, I wish I could be, I wish I could be a writer. And I remember, you know, my mom saying, well, you know, you, you can. And I was like, people can do that? Like, you can do that for a job? And so from fifth grade on, I always knew that that's what I wanted to do. So I feel really lucky because, you know, I think there's a lot of things people can do and be successful at, but to find out really early kind of what you wanted and to have that follow you through and, and not change, I feel yeah. gave me a little head start in writing. And so I went into, I, I got a degree in English and then for my job, I became an editor. So I've worked in the publishing industry for 25 years now. Um, so editing and helping other people with their writing and shape their words and all that, I think has really helped me be a writer and also just helped with the publishing side of things. Um, because I understand how publishing works and I understand how to find a space in the market and I understand, you know, what sells and what doesn't sell and why. And so that other piece of my professional life, I feel like has really helped me as a writer um, and vice versa. Like, I think I'm a better editor because I know what it feels like to be on the receiving end mm -hmm. of the editing. So I think it's helped me being an editor's helped me be a better writer. Being a writer's helped me be a better editor. Do you ever, um, when you're helping edit people's writing, do you get people who, any of the writers get offended at suggestions, comments? Yeah. And I will say, I have found over 25 years that the better the writer, the more receptive they are to the edits. The, um, the, the more insecure writers, maybe the first time writers, or maybe the writers that have a huge ego don't want you to change a word right mm -hmm. and the people that really have a respect for the process and for the word and for their editors are you know a pleasure to edit and I always say my favorite quote Stephen King said to remember the editor is God so <laughs> I'm like but Stephen King wrote have you read this book he wrote on writing it's a, I saw it on your website you yeah, recommended it I would recommend it to anybody that likes to write he is such good advice um but, but yeah, so part of what you do is, as an editor is, you know, help, help people, help people look their best help in their work and help them find what they want to say in the best possible way. So I was kind of thinking of myself as like a therapist between the writer and the reader, right? So you're like, you're trying to represent the interests of the reader so that they get the best book, but you're trying to make the writer look their best. So if they trust you and, and you work with them, it can be really fun. What types of books are you editing? So right now, for the last seven years, I work at Sounds True, which is a kind of a spirituality, mindfulness publisher in Boulder, Colorado. I work from Salt Lake, but um, I've developed their children's line for the last seven years, mm -hmm. so just focused on children's books. In the past, I've done pretty. I've edited pretty much everything except like fic, full-on fiction, like novels. Although I've done that at school, but. I've done cookbooks for a long time and nonfiction, coffee table books, um, activity books, all kinds of stuff. When you edit a cookbook, what are you editing? The 
not the recipes, I don't think. Or Well, usually have a recipe tester, so the editor doesn't usually have to do that, although I have done recipe testing before, um, which is fun, <laughs> usually. I wrote a book called 101 Things to Do with Gelatin, which is not my best book ever, <laughs> but it was fun Utah to write. Book, right? It's a very Utah book. It was pretty fun. The only time I think I ever cried in writing a book was when I started that book and I was like, I have to make a hundred and one <laughs> jello recipes. And I literally sat on my kitchen floor and started like burst into tears. Um, but yeah, if, if you're editing a cookbook, you're like making everything consistent. And I, I edited a cookbook once early on that I had a chalk. It was like chocolate, something chocolate chip cookies. I don't know what it was. And um, found out later that in the ingredients list, chocolate chips weren't in there. And, <laughs> A man called me at the publishing house and yelled at me and swore at me <laughs> because because he had wasted fifteen dollars and didn't have the chocolate chips and he wanted me to reimburse him and did you offer just I, to buy some chocolate chips for him? I should have. If I were a better person, mm. I probably would have. Instead, I said, "I'm really sorry." <laughs> so he should have known. I mean, he just assumed there's chocolate chips. Yeah. Just assumed. Yeah. Call me before you bake it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, cause I, so I've, I've, I used to write like in high school, I wrote a lot of short stories. Well, I don't know about a lot, but I love to write short stories and I need to get back into it cause I've got a lot of short story ideas in my head. But I remember I, I published in some just little newsletter once and the girl who was editing it, this was after high school, but the girl who was editing it, I don't she made some changes and I was super offended. I thought, well, and so maybe I'm one of those difficult ones, but, <laughs> but the, the changes that she made, I felt like were like changing the, uh, cause sometimes when, when you write a story, you have these certain, um, motifs that need to carry through, you know? Yeah. And she had changed it and it kind of changed. So that was supposed to carry through the story yeah. and she had changed it at a few places. But I just remember being so incensed, like, I can't what believe you, you did that. Yeah. I can't well, believe you did that. That doesn't mean, I mean, that is, doesn't, there's also bad editors, right? So I feel like. There you go. That's what it any was. Ed- a bad editor. <laughs> any edit should be in conversation with the writer. Mm-hmm. So if she had done it the best way, she probably would have said, hey, um, this is why I'm suggesting this change. What is that? Does that work for you? And then you would say, well, actually, I have this motif I want to carry through. And, th- and then she'd be like, oh, I didn't see that. What can we do to bring that out more? So it kind of, I always feel like a good editor is kind of like a do no harm. You know, like you should never, ever change anything unless you have a good reason that you can articulate to the author. And then the edit should go to the author and they should, you know, sign off on them. And if they have questions or especially if they feel like you've changed their meaning, then you have a conversation and be like, okay, well, I changed it because I had this question. And then the author's like, oh, okay, I see what you're asking, but I don't like your solution. And then you kind of maybe come up with a completely different solution together that resolves both the editor's question and that the author feels good about. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I, that's how I like to edit. That's how I was taught to edit. And I think, I think that's the right thing. I don't, I don't think you ever change someone's work unless you have a, a reason that you can articulate that's strong. I think that's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. Very good. Um, so, so who are some of your favorite authors? 
Oh, I have so many writers. So um, I, I we talked before. I love the classics. Like mm-hmm. I love Jane Austen. I love Charlotte Bronte. Um, you know, I've I've gone to the Shakespeare Festival in Cedar City every year since I was little. So I love I love those plays. Um, I remember a few years ago I was reading David Copperfield, which is like. I don't know, a thousand pages or whatever, mm-hmm. 800 pages. And I'm like, this is so funny. I'm like, this is like a beach read. And my <laughs> husband's like, Dickens is not a beach read. And I'm like, well, kind of, it kind of is, right? So I do really love the classics. Um, but I've read lately, I, I just finished my, my MFA in writing for children and young adults. And so for, for that program, you had to read pretty much like three books a week for two years. Mm. So I read tons and tons and tons of of current children's writers, and I feel like um, middle grade, like books for eight to twelve, right? I, there's so much good work being done in that category. I love Jason Reynolds. Um, I love, you know, like um, the War That Saved My Life, Kimberly Brubach Baker or Kimberly Baker Brubach. Um, a lot of just a lot of good writing. Um, we have Christian Heidecker is a local Utah writer who won the Newbery Honor for. Scary story for young foxes a couple years ago. Um, kind of like did horror write, writing for that age. Did he write those tennis shoes among the Nephites books? No. Maybe no, I that's Chris. That's an, uh, also Chris or Chris. I don't remember, but no. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I enjoy reading, you know, for for young adults. Um, I really like lately um, Frederick Bachman, whose stuff is um, translated from Swedish, like. The Man Called Ove, I think I think they just made a yeah. movie with Tom Hanks, but before they made a movie, a Swedish movie, um, I love, and he has a new book called Anxious People. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm just like looking for stuff all the time. I read um, Circe and then Song of Achilles, um, yeah, Madeline Miller, like retelling the Greek myths. Mm-hmm. Those are like brilliant, super literary. Um, yeah. So it's fun. I work in the King's English one day a week, so it's always fun to see what's coming out new and impossible, obviously, to stay on top of yeah. everything. Um, yeah, it's, there's it seems like there the the number of books. It seems, there's a lot of books being published. It seems so like. many. Like, so it's overwhelming. I used to be concerned that like everything is going Kindle and eBooks, and I I'm the type I like to have a book in my hand. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. and I also think you know if what if your what if everything gets wiped? I want to have an actual hard book. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad to see bookstores, like especially local bookstores like the King's English, um, just plugging away. Yeah, I think when the first when the eBooks came out, you know, there was a big concern in publishing, um, but it's a small percentage, like I was like eight percent or ten percent. But the thing that we find at the bookstore that's really interesting is like readers are readers, so. Um, a lot of people, if they read it on their ebook um, or in their Kindle or whatever, you know, version, mm-hmm. if they love it, they come in and buy the hard copy anyway, which is kind of funny. And like, I'm a big audiobook person, yeah. so I'm in the car a lot. Um, and, you know, I do a lot on audiobook. And if I love it, I buy the hard copy too. Yeah. I like to have books on my shelves and you can't, you know, if you have a Kindle, yeah. you just put your Kindle up there, you know what I mean? <laughs> your books on your shelves are like your friends. Like you they come are. home at the end of a long day and like familiar, mm-hmm. beloved friends waiting for you. I, I'm just admiring all your shelves behind you with 
like those those modern library and like the old the old books um old editions i love just the smell and the old design you know like some 1970s covers awesome right they're Um, so cool yeah. yeah that's what you get when you go to the di you get you get lots of cool older books. I, some of them I bought, at like over here. Um, I'm pointing. No one else. Like, I've got. Uh, you know, when you go to Europe, I was in Amsterdam once, and they had this big open air book market. Those are so cool. Yes, and in fact, kind of related to what we're talking about today with your book that we're going to get to in just a minute here, I I got uh, Sonnets of the Portuguese, uh, an old. I'll, I'll grab it here in a second. That's so cool. But, yeah, it's really cool. And then at the DI, I actually got a copy of Hemingway's Old Man in the Sea that was published. In, it's a German copy. It's over there. It's in German? Of, in German, Okay, yeah. can I tell you my one of my great regrets in life? <laughs> so we well, went, you're not just telling me. I'm you're telling <laughs> everyone. And, so the, and then maybe they can draw from it what they will. But um, um, we went to Paris. I went to Paris with my husband for the first time last summer, and we went to one of those open mm-hmm. market. Um, book fairs with like little all the booksellers from all over the city came and they set up their stall yeah. and a thing and there was a letterpress printed French version like open leaf um, so it's not bound mm-hmm. like oversized beautiful it was like in blue two color blue and black letterpress which I love letterpress printing of Edgar Allan Poe of all of his poems mm. and I didn't buy it and it's gone forever. So if you should, buy, if you see the thing, <laughs> you should buy it. That's my takeaway. I totally. If agree. you see the thing, don't let it go. Just buy it. You won't be sorry. You won't be sorry because money comes and money goes, but Edgar Allan Poe letterpress doesn't come back. I know. It just goes. It just goes. It's not like you can run back to Paris and find the market and uh, it's Worth gone. Worth a try. Worth a try, maybe. <laughs> no, we'll just go to Paris. Um, you mentioned, what was it? Oh, so I remember when I was in law school, you know, law school, you just read dense cases and just horrible, horrible reading. A couple of the cases actually were actually entertaining to read because the justice that was writing them, he or she was creative. Mm -hmm. It was interesting, Mm -hmm. but mostly it was just hard, thick stuff. Um, And I remember I discovered at the time that book twilight this was about that time and man i i read that and it was like cotton candy yeah i mean it was just like <laughs> whoop. i mean it, and then i read the next one zoom, zoom, and um, that's a good anecdote and an antidote to uh to case study <laughs> yes about the yes, opposite as you could yeah. get <laughs> and it was uh man those things those books just like it was like cotton candy it just grabbed you and pulled you in in fact i've got the whole set and the first three books I got signed by Stephanie Meyer. So, but anyway, yeah. So these young adult books, I guess that would be considered a young adult book. Twilight, yeah, probably because the characters yeah. under eighteen. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know what else I would do in law school when I would when I'd be my mind would get all jumbled, reading all the stuff. I had a copy of Robert Frost. In fact, the, it's right on that shelf there. The poetry. Oh, of yep, Frost. I see it. That was my mom's book. But anyway, I would have that in my little cubicle that I sat in. And I would pull it out and I would just read his poetry and it seemed to just like reset my brain. Mm. It was, it was pretty cool. So Mm. I like, I like frost. Um, yeah, I, uh, so how did you first go about like getting, like, so you write your first book 
did you shop it around or how did that go? Um, so the, the first, the cookbook, the Linehouse uh, Weddings book, um, I was an editor at Deseret right. Books, so okay. that presented itself. And then I was an editor at Gibsmith Publisher for 10 years. And so um, a lot of my, my books started there, um, all the Baby Lit series, that's mm-hmm. Gibsmith. Um, and then, you know, eventually I got an agent and then I've, um, uh, published with a lot of different houses like HarperCollins, Macmillan, and then some of the cooler small houses like Chronicle Books, if you know, they do a lot of great gifty, beautiful stuff. Um, so yeah, I kind of like started, I think by being in the industry and being an editor Mm. at a publishing house. And how did you come up with the idea? I mean, what, what, like to think I'm going to write these children's books like these baby lit. So is baby lit your line? So baby lit, um, Gibsmith owns. So okay. I, I did it in conjunction with the, the editor there. But so I, I mentioned that Jane Austen adult nonfiction, literary mm-hmm. nonfiction book. And I'd right. done also an adult literary nonfiction Shakespeare book called why is for Yorick, a slightly irreverent AVC book for grownups. <laughs> That's kind of a fun one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I was talking to um, my editor there, my boss at Gibsmith, and it was like, well, Shakespeare and Austin, you know, Shakespeare and Jane Austen are perennial. Everybody loves them, mm-hmm. you know, and every year there's new books on those topics. What could we do? And, you know, she was like, what about, you know, Jane Austen for babies? And so ran with that and um, kind of figured out the best way to do that and came up with the, the, the primers, like, teaching colors with sense and sensibility, well, sense and sensibility is opposites, but teaching colors with Pride and Prejudice or teaching weather with Weathering Heights. Mm -hmm. Um, And I figured, you know, there'd be like four if I was lucky, because that's usually how it works. Um, You don't usually get to have this huge, huge series. Um, But then the New York Times did an article. It was a 200-year anniversary of Jane Austen's birthday and they did, you know, you might remember, do you remember Pride and Prejudice and Zombies yeah, yeah. when that came out? So that was Quirk Books. That came out around then. I actually worked as an editor at Quirk Books for a year. Um, and so they, they kind of did this big thing about like, well, it's in the Wall Street Journal, like all these spinoffs or fan fiction or whatever you want to call it of Jane Austen. And then the New York Times did this huge article. It was on the front page of the New York Times, which is crazy to even think about, about baby lit. And then it just like really, really took off after that. So it sustained mm-hmm. out for 30, 30 titles. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. And um, I mentioned the Edgar ones. So th- your new book coming out, this is not a baby lit, though. No, this is with um, HarperCollins. And, but it is like a similar in, a, in the sense that it's um, kind of a play on the classics. So it's yeah. taking a classic poem by Robert Browning called Pippa's Song. And then kind of adding, expanding, making it, you know, inspired by making it into a picture book for kids. Let's, uh, let's, I want to talk about that. I'm I'm interested in how it came about. And, um, you know, you've got a a illustrator, Christopher Silas Neal. Yeah. Yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah. I I love the illustrations. And, but let's, I I think in the back you have Pippa's Song by Robert Browning. So I'm going to read this first, the poem. And. I got to, well, let me just read the poem first. And okay. About okay, so this is Pippa's Song by Robert Browning. The years at the spring and days at the morn, mornings at seven, the hillsides dew-pearled, the larks on the wing, the snails on the thorn, God's in his heaven. 
all's right with the world. So, you know, I, I mentioned to you earlier that when I read this poem, it's calming and it's it's peaceful and it's 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 reassuring of life i guess is the way i would try to say it like you know what things are going to be okay yeah. these simple things that he mentions you know uh, this you know whatever troubles are going on in your life right now the snail is still just crawling along you know yeah the larks out there flying there's you know it, the world's going on its way yeah you know so yeah. whatever stresses you have in your life guess what Everything is just still moving on, you know. Um, so I, I'm interested, first of all, like what what made you think, you know, I'm going to take Pippa's song and I want to do a book out of it. Yeah. So the the first book I did with this editor, um, her name's Donna Bray, and she manages Balzer and Bray, which is an imprint at HarperCollins, and she's really fantastic. And I, I sold to her one, a picture book called um, How Do I Love Thee? And that one's based on Elizabeth Barrett Browning's famous poem, mm-hmm. How Do I Love Thee, Let Me Count the Ways. Um, and it's actually m- much harder to take a poem and make it for four to eight-year-olds than you might think. Like, it kind of has to be old enough. Well, it has to be old enough to be in public domain, for mm-hmm. one thing. And then it has to be old enough to have some archaic language that can be modernized. It has to have themes that translate for kids, right? Or that you can make work for kids. Um, so it's kind of tricky. So I've tried, lot, you know, I've tried quite a few different ones that don't work. Like I love E.E. E. Cummings. I was just looking yeah. at your E.E. E. Cummings there, That's and so I'm like, good. oh, I love him. Um, and I wanted to do something with his, but you, but it doesn't, it doesn't really work that way because like what makes him E.E. E. Cummings is like how he. You, you can't change or adjust his language. You know what I mean? So well, some of it, his sounds like child talking. Yeah. B- yeah. Babbling, you yeah. Know? It's, yeah. <laughs> so, so, but, but Elizabeth Barrett Browning worked really well. I thought for how do I love thee? And then, um, I was at, at breakfast with my editor and we were trying to think of, you know, we wanted to do another one and what would be good. And she remembered Pippa's song from when she was in school and she loved it. So, she suggested that. She's like, why don't you take a look at that and see if it works? And then, you know, coincidentally, it's, it's kind of perfect because it's it's by Robert Browning. So it's mm. by yeah. Elizabeth's husband. So I kind of have this du- duology with the husband and wife poems, both illustrated by the same illustrator, by Christopher Silas Neal. So kind of kind of felt perfect and, and did lend itself, you know, I think for a lot of the reasons that, that you said. Um, just just the reassuring quality, um, you know, almost like a lullaby, almost like yeah, something a, a parent would say to their child yeah. to make them feel comfortable and warm in the world. And I think a lullaby is a good way to describe it. It's just safe. It's, hey, yeah. child, you're going to be okay. Yeah. You know, you know, it's almost a big, it's, it's a hug. It's a safety hug, you know. Yeah. Hey, hey. I, I love... So I had never read Pippa's song before. I haven't even read much of Robert Browning, to be frank. Uh, I've read a lot of uh, uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning's. In fact, I mentioned that I got that book. And I've got another like modern copy of um, Sonnets of the Portuguese, which mm-hmm. amazing sonnets, amazing. And, and, and I did notice, though, in the front of the book, like um, one of the first pictures, um, yeah, the years of the spring, the days of the morn, there's a picture of a, mother and a son looking out and then on the bookshelf 
There's a book. How do I love thee? Is a shout I hadn't out. even noticed that yet. Thank yeah. you for finding that. There's <laughs> a shout out to Elizabeth Fair Browning there. Um, so when did you start the book? So, so long ago. I feel like I sold this book four years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's something people don't always know about publishing. It's usually like a minimum of two years from the time you sell a book till it comes out. And like um, kids books usually even longer because you have to, to find the illustrator and hire the illustrator and they have to make all the art. And then, you know, these four color books are usually printed overseas and there's like shipping time. And so, um, a long time ago. So did you write, so explain how this is done. So you write the text first, the story, Mm -hmm. uh, and then you give it to the illustrator and the illustrator takes it from there. Yeah. So you write the text and then, um, your agent sells it to an editor and that can take a really long time Mm -hmm. too. It can go out to a lot of editors. I mean, this editor I was already working with, but if you were doing it fresh, you know, you might, it might take months to find somebody that, that wants to publish it. Um, and then um, once that part is done, the, the, uh, it's the editor that really selects the illustrator. Um, so some, I feel like people feel like, oh, as the writer, you would decide what the title of your book is or who the artist is. And that's not the case at all. It's the publisher who kind of pairs you. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times editors or a lot of times writers and illustrators don't even get to talk to each other. They don't even mm-hmm. talk till the book comes out. Um, because one thing you like to do is not for the writer to not tell the illustrator what they envision, but let the illustrator bring their own vision. And I think yeah, it's I like really that. hard for people to... It's hard to let go of that because, like, as a writer, you might have your own ideas of how it should look or what you're envisioning. But if you can step back and kind of take that leap of faith, the illustrator always surprises you with something better than you could have imagined. Mm. So does the illustrator, so in this case, uh, Christopher Silas Neal, does he take your text and does he choose how to break it up? Because, I mean, the way your book is, you know, it's it's you know, got two lines on one page. Does he break that up? Um, I broke it up as the writer because like, I think it was really important, the cadence and like mm. the page yeah. turn because you're turning a page is like a natural pause in how yeah. you read it. So when you're writing children's books, especially you think about those page turns. Um, I also know, have writer friends who the editor's the one that breaks it up and decides. Um, and then the illustrator can come back and be like, oh, you know, I really want to do a spread on this. Is it okay if we move? So it's very collaborative, mm-hmm. um, which I which I like. And you said you've worked with this illustrator before. Yeah. And on, on, the, uh, on how do I love thee. Okay. Yeah. And I, I've met him. I mean, I think because I'm in the publishing world as an editor, sometimes that gives me a little, like they let me talk to my illustrators more than I think. Like I actually picked Chris for this. Mm. I suggested it to the, I suggested his work to the editor and she, she liked it. Um, but he was kind of my choice that I brought to the table. Um, so I feel really lucky in that way. So I, what I like about, I mean, there's a lot of things I like about this book. Um, what I like about it, first of all, it's set in kind of an urban area and is there, did you, so that's, I mean, I, I, I guess the illustrator is the one who came up with the urban setting. He did. Yeah. And he, I, so he lives with his family and he has a little, boy the age of the little boy in the book mm-hmm. um and he lives in brooklyn and oh, okay. so he i think that's kind of his neighborhood and, yeah it looks yeah. like a brooklyn neighborhood i've been to brooklyn once and uh um 
So maybe I'm not the best judge on what looks like Brooklyn or not, but uh, yeah. it certainly looks like a New York yeah. neighborhood. He, like, for the other book I did with him, How Do I Love Thee, um, is kind of a good example. Like I, I had it envisioned to be the story of one mother and one child in the book, in the text that I wrote. And then the editor came back and said, I think it should be multiple parents and multiple children, like a whole bunch of different families. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then Chris came back and said, I don't, I don't think it needs to be about parents. I think it just needs to be about these three friends. I think it just needs to be about kids. And so we're like, okay. And it, and he was right. It turned out perfectly, right? But it from where I started to where the art ended was like a really different story. But I have to say, like, I think a better. I think he made it a lot better. Mm, interesting. So it really is a collaboration. Mm-hmm. So you need to, I, I guess, a rule. I, I guess the takeaway there is, Make sure you get a good illustrator. Yeah. Yeah. I've been very, very lucky. I love all the artists I've worked with. I think the worst thing I could imagine is like putting your whole heart into a manuscript. And then if it came out with art you didn't like, that would be really hard. Would you be able to nix it if you didn't like it? Um, Most editors let you let you say like they'll say like, here's four or five people we're considering. You know, if there's anybody you hate, (laughs) tell us now. Right. Or who's your favorite? And you know, the people I've worked with have had such good taste. It's like never even come up as a question. Any yeah. any of the people on the list would have been fabulous. So uh, looking through your book here, um, you know, you've got the, the original text of, of the poem. I think there's one line that's not in there, but uh, otherwise you get the original text. And then is there something, uh, what was your, what were you, were you just, what were you trying to convey? Because you've added, you've kind of just thrown different scenarios because the poem itself is throwing kind of some some scenarios, you know, the years at the spring and days at the morn. More, just kind of giving yeah. you some scenarios. And you've added things like warm bath, fluffy towel, and notebooks and crayons, tag, hide and seek. I'm going backwards, actually. Yeah. All's right with the yeah. So what were you trying to, uh, what, was you, what were you trying to convey here? What were you trying to get across? Yeah, I think I think what you said earlier really got to the heart of it. Just like kind of this idea of like the the comfort and the security of the everyday. Like you know, we take our bath every night mm, in our pajamas yeah. and our bedtime story, and and that there's a lot of of joy just in you know setting the table for dinner and you know eating with friends, and that those little moments are are actually what life is made up of at the end of the day. And then that refrain, all's right with the world, um, I kind of wove that throughout kind mm. of as a, as a refrain to come back to. And then I think at the end, I, I switch it up a little and with a little bit of rhyme, good, all's right yeah. with the world and good night to the world. Yeah. Um, so that can be kind of a little bedtime story hook also. One thing that I, I liked with regard to the illustrations, um, and I don't know if this was the intent, but there's a red bird on every illustration yeah and, and that was the illustrators idea too yeah. kind of that hide and seek thing for kids to find and also what i kind of got was like there's there is some uh you know what's the word there's there's a uh not a routine it's just like there's something f- familiar in every picture mm-hmm. you know every yeah. picture there, and there's something comforting about having some familiarity. Yeah. Just that little stability. stability, I can find that and it's there. there And kind of it being red, just kind of like this pop of beauty. Like Mm -hmm. it, like it might be like a, you know, like a messy concrete playground with graffiti all over the wall or whatever, but 
but there's so much beauty in that. And yeah. I think the bird kind of symbolizes that. Yeah. Um, so when does the, is the book released? March 7th. Um, the and day after my birthday. Oh, <laughs> it's my little birthday present. Mine is, was February 6th. So four weeks apart. There you go. Yeah. Um, and so it's released on March 7th. Is When is it available in bookstores or, or, or online? I yeah, I think you can pre-order it now um, if people are interested, which is always great for authors. Pre-orders kind of indicate interest level to the publisher mm-hmm. and sometimes drive how much money they'll spend on advertising and stuff. Um, but by the 7th, it should be, you know, online, Barnes & Noble, King's English, you know, pretty much anywhere. One place I like to... Um, talk about it's bookshop.org like for people that want to buy their books online but want to support local bookstores there's bookshop.org and um they mail it to you it's perfectly packaged it never gets damaged like some other people that mail to you and um a percentage of the proceeds go to the independent bookstore that's closest to where you live so you can choose where to send part of the profits so that's always a good option i like to tell people about too um do you have any other books in the works? I do. I'm <laughs> I'm writing. I'm working on a, a historical fiction for young adults, so sixteen and up, um, about the Salem witch trials. Oh. And it's the first time I've written long fiction because I I write mostly picture books and children's books. So it's a big change for me, and it's kind of the project I worked on during graduate school and really want to be I really want to finish it and see see where it goes and it's really hard yeah so um did you say it's a historical fiction yeah so this is like based on the it's based on the Salem witch trials um the crucible the Arthur Miller play Mm -hmm. uh, I've always loved that play and I, I saw it again I don't know maybe almost 10 years ago now and you know it's John Proctor and I love John Proctor, but his servant, Mary, I, I started thinking, you know, John Proctor is very flawed. Um, and this is the crucible version, not the real life historical version, which aren't the same either. But um, I'm like, I wonder what the, I wonder what the crucible would look like if that, if the, if it was written from his servant's point of view, oh, interesting. not, not his point of view, you know, cause he, he was known to beat his servants. And mm-hmm. um, so I started researching that and started looking at it from the, the girl's point of view and that's where that idea came from yeah interesting yeah i you know i've 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 thought one thing i love about writing is you can create whatever world you want to create yeah and you can build it however you want to build it um and that's exciting i mean it there you know just just write in fact that's what i've found is that I've spent so much time just sitting there trying to write, you know, and trying to think of stuff. And I feel like when I just start writing an idea and then it just kind of opens up to me and then you can go wherever you want. And then it's it's different um, um, ideas come in. And I really like your idea of coming from, you know, taking a historical event or historical uh, situation. But what would it look like from this angle? Yeah. Yeah. You know, what would, how would it be viewed differently? You know, because, you know, they say that, you know, all the histories we have are written by the, the victors, you know. Right. What would it be like from the other side, you know? Right. Exactly. How, you know, where are we not getting? 
Um, all right. Well, I'm this. I've got my copy already of All's Right with the World. <laughs> I'm excited about this, and I just want. Um, I, I just I love the book. I love your Baby Lit series. In fact, Baby Lit Jen is that your? <laughs> yeah. That's your uh, Instagram. It is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I love your book. I love your series. I love what you've done here. Um, and I appreciate your coming and visiting with me today. Um, oh, my pleasure. I, I just encourage everybody out there, um, get this book. It's beautiful. I, I love the artwork. I love the, 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 uh, text, your writing, the things that you put in there every day, like scooters and skateboards. It's just something that's relatable. And, um, yeah, I'm grateful that you do what you do. Thank you so much. Yeah. And, uh, any words of wisdom as we wrap up? I'm putting you on the spot here. I think just, yeah, I, what, I love what you just said. Just like sit down and write and not worry about it. So like people for whatever creative art that is, if you want to draw or write or sing or bake or whatever, just give yourself permission to do it. And it can be sloppy and you can make mistakes and it doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't have to be published but you can just, I think, bring a lot of joy into your own life and just add a lot of creativity and connection to other people in the world by just being willing to put your creativity out there. And we're going to end on that because I think it's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you.